Hi, I'm Tanya Ransom, creator and executive producer of Nightlight, a horror podcast featuring creepy tales written and performed by Black creatives from all over the world. This week, we have our second of four stories in June, all from Black and Roots, an anthology of non-traditional zombies, which releases later this month. But before we learn what it takes to be part of a community in a zombie apocalypse, I want to take a moment to say thanks to our newest patrons, Dorothy and Pierre. I'd also like to thank Asaya for increasing their monthly donation. If you'd like to support Black Horror and enjoy ad-free episodes, just go to nightlightpod.com legion to join the Nightlight Legion and get a shout-out on the podcast, plus occasional bonus content. You can also make a one-time donation to support us at nightlightpod.com donate. And don't forget, Nightlight merch is available, and you can support us by sporting Nightlight-branded gear. Just go to merch.nightlightpod.com to get your t-shirts, hoodies, notebooks, and more. Now sit back, turn out the lights, and enjoy. Initiation, written by Milton Davis and narrated by Sheree Stewart. Thanks for supporting the Fable and Folly Network. Here's another show we know you'll love. I got this really strange email last night. I need to see what's going on with this mystery file. Hey, it's a map of a town called Ocean Bay. Someone sent these images to you for a reason. I'm so lost right now. When was the last time you chose a direction and followed it? I'm going to Ocean Bay. We don't get many tourists this time of year. Ocean Bay is a friendly town, but we're not that friendly. I never sent you an email. I don't even know you. And why exactly are you here? The map is the reason we're here. Maps help when you're lost. Do you know what a trap street is? Trap streets aren't real. They don't exist. Don't trust anyone unless they give you a reason to trust them. I I think he's dead. How could so much damage happen to a human body in such a short period of time? What the hell is going on here? From the creators of Strange Air, this is Trap Street. So maps can have secrets. Yes, maps can have secrets. Follow and hear new episodes of Trap Street anywhere you listen to podcasts. Looking to get out of the ads and back to the story? Fable and Folly Plus is a new way to support the creators you love. The podcast you're listening to right now and more than 60 others can be heard ad-free for as little as $4 a month by visiting fableandfolly.com slash plus. And now you'll start to see Fable and Folly Network shows are offering bonus content to all existing and new supporters. Find exclusive new episodes from shows like Where the Stars Fell, The Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program, and Civilized. Plus, early access to new episodes of Midnight Burger, all still entirely ad-free. Maria watched the horde through her battered binoculars, searching for the perfect one. This was the third mass they had encountered since morning. The smell of decaying flesh reached them despite the distance, carried by a stiff wind which heralded an approaching rainstorm. She shifted her attention to the gathering clouds, lightning flashes preceding the distant rumbles. You see one? Leo asked. Maria shifted her attention back to the horde. Not yet, she replied. The town had been ravaged by the undead before. Thinking beings would bypass it, but the hordes would sweep the same spots again and again. Maria's eyebrows rose over the binocular lens. 
Got one. She focused on a smaller undead. It was probably eight or nine years old when it transitioned. The condition of its clothes indicated it had been taken recently. Maria stopped identifying them by gender long ago. The more you removed their humanity, the easier it was to do what you had to do to survive. Let's go, Leo said. He started the motorcycle as she forced her helmet down over her voluminous afro and climbed into the sidecar. Leo drove slowly over the rough ground, then accelerated when they reached the smoother asphalt. They covered half the distance before parking the bike. They were in no danger, but old habits were hard to break. Maria fished the shotgun from under their coats. Leo grabbed the axe. They strolled across the patchwork of grass, weeds, and dirt as the undead entered the town. The creatures staggered in a single file, then separated, following the various streets branching from the main road. The young one held back as if unsure, which was good for Leo and Maria. Maria opened the double-barrel shotgun and then inserted two buckshot shells. She crept closer until she was a meter away from it. Boo! The undead turned and she pulled the trigger. The shot ripped through its head, sending decayed flesh and black blood everywhere. The headless creature tottered, then fell forward. Maria reloaded the shotgun as Leo strolled to the body. How much we need? Maria asked. Not much. Leo grabbed the undead's left arm and extended it. He chopped off the hand with one swing. It took three to cleave the arm at the elbow. He squatted before the body as Maria kept watch, picking up the arm and then putting it into a silk-lined canvas bag. They're coming, Maria said. A gathering of undead walked toward them, blank eyes staring, deformed mouths open. The duo strolled to the motorbike. Maria watched the group come closer, and she smirked. Leo started the bike, but Maria raised her hand. Wait, she said. Leo frowned. For what? We got what we came for. I want to see it work, she said. Leo sighed, then folded his arms on the bike handles. The undead came a few meters closer, then stopped. They swayed in their unstable way, gazing around as if they could no longer see them. They then turned away one by one, returning to the town. Maria grinned. It's amazing. She hunkered down into the sidecar. Let's go. It was raining when they reached the compound. The tower guards recognized them and opened the gate a few minutes before they arrived. Camp folk waved as they sloshed by to the command tent in the center of the town. Leo stopped before the entrance and Maria climbed out of the sidecar. The canvas bag containing the arms slung over her shoulder. I'll meet you at home, she said. Leo nodded and drove away. Maria watched him and warmth passed through her despite the cold drizzle. She was lucky. Leo was a good man. They had been through so much together since the change. Circumstances that would have destroyed most couples, but they survived. They found the commune and were accepted. Now they were contributing to the community in the most important way. When she entered the tent, she was greeted by the stern face of Gretchen Moore, head scientist. The sepia-colored clinic manager wore a dingy lab coat over her jeans and flannel shirt, her tight cross necklace barely visible. Maria threw up a lazy salute and Gretchen waved it off. Where's the package? She said. Maria handed her the bag. Gretchen opened it 
looked inside, then smiled. By her grace, she whispered. When she looked up, she radiated a reverent glow. You and Leo did an excellent job. I can see it's fresh. Did you watch the transformation? Maria barely hid her disgust. No, it was traveling with the Pollo Horde, she answered. Gretchen hurried away, Maria close behind. They pushed through the canvas curtain into her lab. Maria was always amazed at how clean she kept the facility. Gretchen set the appendage on the lab table, then went to her storage cabinet and took out a med kit. She gave it to Maria. Make sure his vitals are good, she said. I will, Maria replied. You must be excited. Actually, I'm a little scared. Gretchen looked at her with wide eyes. Scared? Why? Maria shrugged. Old habits, I guess. Gretchen carried the bag to the table, then opened it. She took out the arm and admired it. You need to shake your doubts, Gretchen said. Dr. Moore left us with an amazing legacy. It's terrible that he wasn't able to use it to save himself. Gretchen closed her eyes, then whispered a prayer. Everyone in the compound knew the story of Dr. Willis Moore and his revolutionary discovery. It was his serum that made life in the compound possible. It was also his search to improve his discovery that led him to become what he fought to destroy. When Gretchen opened her eyes, the serious expression had returned. Make sure you check Baron's vitals. We need him in his best shape for initiation. I will, Maria replied. Thank you, Gretchen. No need to thank me. We are tribe. We are tribe, Maria repeated. Maria left the med tent, then hurried home. Leo's bike was parked out front, covered with the rain canvas. As she entered the tent, she saw her men sitting at the rusted folding table enjoying bowls of bone soup. Baron looked up and his face glowed. Mommy! He jumped from her seat, then wrapped her in a crushing, loving hug. He was almost as tall as Leo now which made her happy and sad. She was gaining a healthy man, but losing her boy. Let your mother go so she can eat, Leo said playfully. They walked together to the table, separating to sit. The bone soup was warm and soothing. What did Gretchen say? Leo asked. Everything is good, Maria replied. Initiation is on schedule. Baron's face dimmed his smile replaced by a nervous scowl. Maria reached out and touched his hand. There's nothing to worry about, she said. Everything will be fine. I'm not worried about that, Baron replied. I'm nervous about the ceremony. I don't like crowds. I know, Leo said. But initiation is important to tribe and us. It's the reason we still exist, while others have perished. Plus, it doesn't last long, Maria said in a soothing tone. And when it's over, you can finally leave the compound. Baron's nervousness quelled. That would be great. Now let's finish this delicious soup. I need to check your vitals, Maria said. Baron lowered his spoon. Why? You have to be at your healthiest to participate in initiation. I feel good, Baron said. Of course you do. You're my son. Maria said, but that's not enough for Gretchen. She needs her stupid numbers. They finished their meal. Leo collected their bowls and carried them to the water bucket for washing. 
Baron was standing to leave the table when Maria waved him down. No, you don't, young man. She lifted the test kit. Remember? Baron frowned, then plopped into his seat. Maria broke the seal on the kit, then opened it. Inside was a thermometer, stethoscope, blood pressure cuff, and a blood sample kit. The faded instructions were tucked under the instruments. Maria unfolded them, then read them. She knew them by heart, but it never hurt to read them again just in case Gretchen made any changes. Okay, young man, let's do this, she said. Baron passed the test with no problem. The only variable was the blood sample analysis. She would have to wait for Gretchen for those results. So, I'm alive? Baron asked. No, Maria replied. We'll have to kick you out of the compound to roam around with your friends. That's not funny, Baron said. Maria hugged him. After initiation, you won't have to worry about that ever again. The following weeks were spent in preparation of initiation. Teams scoured the nearby ruins and abandoned homes for items and trinkets for the ceremony. The city blacksmiths converted those objects into jewelry for the initiates and their families. None of this was necessary, but the town leaders understood how important celebration and recognition was to the survivors. Maria went to the seamstress to have Leo's initiation jacket resized for Baron who was already bigger and broader than his father. After initiation, he would be a valuable addition to the tribe. Maria couldn't help but smile. The night finally arrived. A full moon lay its muted light on the compound, illuminating the celebrants as they made their way to town center. The moonlight was gradually usurped by the bonfire light, the blazing pile of hardwood and incense sending smoke and fragrance into the clear night sky. Baron put on his jacket, then buttoned it as Maria and Leo watched. He looked up at them both, a nervous smile on his face. So I guess this is it, he said. It is, Maria replied. He stood and Maria hugged him tight and kissed his forehead. Everything will be fine, she whispered. Maria stepped away and watched Leo hug him. See you on the other side, he said. They picked up their instruments. Maria's tambourine was weathered, but still useful. Leo's shaker cord was missing a few beads, but still sang with every motion. They could hear the drumming inside their tent, so they played in syncopation. Lead the way, son, Maria said. Baron danced out the tent in time with the rhythm flowing through the compound. Maria and Leo followed, matching their beat with the drums. They joined the other families prancing their way to center, some with initiates, some without, but everyone joyful. As they reached the center, Maria and Leo joined the ring of parents and relatives of the initiates. Behind them stood the other tribe members, their expressions just as joyful as the parents. New initiates meant new hope for a better future. Standing before the fire was Gretchen. The cold expression and clinical clothing were gone replaced by a hand-woven woolen dress that fell from her shoulders to her ankles to rest on the insteps of her bare feet. A mural decorated the garment, an abstract story of the tribe, from its founding to the present day. As far as they knew, they were the only humans thriving in this new world. It was because of the gift bestowed on them decades ago, a protection that would now be given to their new initiates. Standing on either side of Gretchen were her acolytes, 
People chosen for training so that one day they would take her place. They wore wooden masks with slits to represent their eyes and mouth. Black robes covered their bodies, and they too were shoeless. Each held a large gourd in their left hands, a small cup in their right. The initiates walked in time with the pulsing music until they reached Gretchen and the Acolytes. Maria reached out and grasped Leo's hand, and they shared a smile. They watched Baron turn to his right, walking a few paces, then stopping just beyond the Acolyte. Once the others were in place, they swayed in time with Gretchen and the Acolytes. Gretchen raised her arms. She let them drop. The drumming ceased. The camp fell silent. Tribe, she shouted. What are we? We are one, Maria shouted with the others. Tribe, she shouted again. What are we? We are life, they responded. Gretchen began pacing. Twenty years ago, we were blessed, she said. A man who owed us nothing gave us everything. Since that day, we have prospered, able to live free of the plague that possesses others. His only demand of us was to share with others, to one day make the world free as it once was. Gretchen turned her back to Maria and the other parents to face the new initiates. You have been among the tribe since the day you were born. Tonight, you become part of the tribe. From this day forward, you will share our responsibility upon your shoulders. But do not worry. We are here to love, nurture, and support you. Gretchen took the large gourd from the acolyte on her right. Kneel, she commanded. Maria's throat went dry. Baron knelt with the others and glanced back at her. He smiled nervously. Hold out your hands, Gretchen ordered. Baron returned his attention to Gretchen, holding out his hands. The second acolyte gave each initiate a cup, which Gretchen filled from her gourd. Maria grimaced as she remembered drinking that same concoction. It was nasty, but necessary for what was to come. The others watched with the same remembrance, sprouting encouragement to the initiates as they forced the drink down. Gretchen waited until the final initiate finished before signaling the first acolyte. They brought her a worn leather case, the same case that once held the first vials of the life-saving serum. The acolyte followed Gretchen to the first initiate and opened the case. Gretchen took out the needle, swabbed the initiate's arm, and administered the shot. Haynes, she called out. Dorothea and Samuel Haynes hurried to the circle, catching their daughter before she collapsed. The others cheered as they led her away to their home to recover from the inoculation. Maria barely heard the other names announced as she watched Baron waiting for his turn. After what seemed like an eternity, she heard Gretchen call out their name. Leo was already on his feet and making his way over to the inner circle. Maria pursued him, her face hot with emotion. They reached Baron at the same time, wrapping him up like a winter's blanket. Baron looked up at them with bleary eyes, grinning through the obvious pain. I did it, he whispered. Maria kissed his cheek. Yes, you did. Now let's get you home. They carried their son home amid the yells of praise and celebration, his burden easing as he regained his strength. By the time they reached their tent, he was almost walking on his own. I'm okay, 
he said. No, you're not, Leah replied. You just think you are. I feel fine, Baron argued. Trust us, son, Maria said. We've done this a few times. Everybody feels they're okay until they fall flat on their face. Let's avoid that broken nose, hmm? Baron shrugged and allowed them to take him to his cot. As they eased him down, he swooned. Maria steadied him. Wow, I wasn't expecting that, Baron said. Maria grinned. See, let's ease you back on this cot. Maria and Leo lowered Baron onto his thin mattress. He closed his eyes and sighed. This feels good. Keep an eye on him, Maria said to Leo. I'm going to brew some soup. I'm not hungry, Baron said. You will be, Maria replied. She went outside and started a fire, then went to the well for water. Going back to the tent for soup bones and herbs, she saw Leo hovering over Baron. Relief washed over her as she returned to the fire with her cooking pot. Their boy was safe now, able to travel anywhere without fear. Once they were sure he was fully immune, they would do what they always planned, leave the tribe. Without the zombie threat, there was no reason for them to stay. Maria finished the soup. She filled the stone bowl, then took it inside. Baron was sitting up. He smiled when he saw her and licked his lips. Maria laughed. Told you you'd be hungry. She handed him the bowl and he looked at its contents and frowned. That's all? You're not ready for solid food yet, Maria said, but you can have all the soup you can eat. Yeah, it's not like it's going to stay around long, Leo said. Baron's eyes widened. What are you talking about? You'll see. Maria and Leo nursed Baron through the night. By morning, he finally slept, and they did too. Maria was the first to wake early that afternoon. She rummaged through their stock for a few items to trade, then hurried to the central market, returning home with bread, a freshly dressed chicken, and a few potatoes. Leo was cleaning the tent when she entered. Baron sat on the edge of his cot, a tired look in his eyes. Is it over yet? You tell us, Maria said. How do you feel? Like I've been hit by a hammer, Baron said. You're better then, Maria said. It'll take at least three days. Your body's going through profound changes. Once it's done, you'll be like us. You'll be able to go anywhere. How soon? Baron asked. Two weeks at the most, Maria said. Then when you're rested, we'll take you out. Baron's eyes lit up. Finally! Calm down, Maria said. Going out is not an adventure. It's essential work. And despite your vaccination, it's still dangerous. There are other monsters to deal with. Other monsters? Baron's worried look made Maria wish she hadn't mentioned it. She patted his shoulder. Don't worry about that. It's nothing we can't manage. Maria and Leo resumed their duties with each taking turns with Baron. Twelve days after the initiation, he was fully recovered and ready for his first trip outside. Maria bartered with other villagers to get him the proper gear. Leo found him a 12-gauge shotgun in good condition, something that would keep him safe while not requiring accuracy. Though Baron had taken shooting like the others in the camp, there was a huge difference between shooting targets and a real firefight. Maria woke Baron that morning with a gentle nudge. Come on, villager, she whispered. It's time. 
Baron sprang up, almost bumping heads with Maria. Calm down, she said. Let's eat breakfast, then head out. They sat at the table eating oatmeal and dried beef before getting their gear. Leo inspected Baron. Remember to stay close to us, he said. Our sweep is going to take us to an area where the undead wander. Baron's eyes went wide. Why? We need to make sure you're protected, Maria replied. This is the only way to find out. But what if there are too many? We're traveling with the other initiates, Leo said. There'll be enough of us to make sure nothing happens. Leo stood back from Baron then smiled. You're as ready as you're ever going to be. Good, Maria replied. Let's go. They met the other families outside the town gates, then proceeded on their sweep. The Haynes led the trek, their daughter walking timidly between her parents. Maria, Leo, and Baron brought up the rear. Why are we in the back? Baron asked. It's just as important to keep an eye on where we've been as it is observing where we're going. Will the undead try to sneak up on us? Baron asked. Leo shook his head. They're not that clever. It's the others we're concerned about. The others like us. Other people? Why? Maria draped her arm on Baron's shoulders. You have lived a privileged life, especially during these times. We were lucky to find tribe. Even luckier, they accepted us. They shared the gift with us and everything else. We have crops and livestock. What we can't make, we scavenge from the nearby towns. Others are not so fortunate. They fend for themselves, living off what they can find or what they can take. Like the undead? He asked. Something like that. Except they live and breathe like us. Baron looked thoughtful for a moment. Why don't we just share with them? Maria sighed. We tried. But there's something about people in times of scarcity. Some see generosity as weakness. It's also why the Founders set up our town among the undead. They can't reach us here, but we can reach them. Are they our enemies? Maria shrugged. They're certainly not our friends. Initiates! Carla Haynes' call ended their conversation. Maria and Leo followed Baron to the others. Carla stood at the top of a steep hill. She waved everyone up. They saw the wrecked city in the valley below, a dilapidated sprawl bordering a wide river. There was movement between the structures. Looks like a horde, she said to Maria as she handed her the binoculars. A good time to confirm. Maria's hand shook as she handed the binoculars back. Carla shared a reassuring smile. It's just routine, she said. You should know. Yeah, but he's still my son. And Jeanette is still my daughter, Carla said. We have to confirm. Carla didn't wait for Maria's or any of the other parents' approval. She didn't need it. Initiates! The new citizens gathered around her. We're going to that town. We've spotted the undead inside. You're taking the lead. The young initiates looked at each other, then their parents. Maria forced a smile as she looked at Baron. It's okay, she said. We'll be close behind. There's nothing to worry about. Baron smiled and nodded. He cocked his pump-action shotgun and stepped forward. Maria wondered if the confident look on his face was real or bravado. 
The other initiates fell in with him, their eyes on him. He was taking the leadership among them, which was good. Spread out, Carla said. Make a single line and approach slowly. The initiates did as ordered. Baron in the center, they marched toward the city, guns ready. Maria and Leo formed another line with the parents and other expedition members, keeping a few meters behind them. The closer they came to the city without incident, the better Maria felt. The undead didn't sense them. The serum injected into all of them rendered them invisible, because they emitted the same odors of the undead. Smell was the primary sense of the unfortunate dead, all other senses secondary. Carla raised her binoculars, then jerked them down. Stop! She shouted. Maria rushed to her side. What's wrong? They're coming. What? They're coming. Everyone fall back! Maria shouted. Wait! Carla said. We must do this the right way. One of the initiates serum didn't take. We need to know who. What are you saying? We pull them back one by one. That's crazy! We can't jeopardize the safety of the tribe, Carla said. Maria wanted to protest, but she knew Carla was right. They had to know. Initiates, Carla shouted out. Stay where you are. Pull back beyond the second line when your name is called. Maria took her place beside Leo while Carla called out the initiate's name. With each call, the undead continued to advance. Maria checked her rifle over and over as they came closer, her eyes fixed on Baron. The last initiates remaining were Baron and Michelle Haynes. The undead continued to come. Baron! Carla shouted. Maria watched as Baron touched Michelle's shoulder and whispered in her ear. He backed away until he was behind and beyond the second line. The undead slowed, then stopped. Oh, God, Maria said. She broke the line running to Baron with Leo close behind. Let's go, now. Baron was dumbfounded. Mama, what's going on? Let's go, son, Leo said. Maria grabbed Baron's arm, then led him away. The trio marched nonstop back to the compound in silence. Each of them caught up in their own thoughts. The guards let them enter, the curiosity evident on their faces. They didn't stop until they were inside their tent. Mama, what's wrong? Baron asked. Maria couldn't answer. She looked at Leo and then dropped her face into her hands. Son, Leo began. When Carla called you back to the line, the undead stopped their advance. Baron's eyes went wide. What does that mean? It means your shot didn't take, Leo replied. See... The serum makes us invisible to the undead by incorporating part of them into us. When they sense us, they sense their own. It's how we can live here, how we can thrive without fear of them. Since your serum didn't take, the undead could possibly find you here. They could find the entire compound. Baron sat hard. Oh. Maria lifted her head and watched Baron's eyes dart between her and Leo. Will they make us leave? He asked. Leo began to answer, but Maria stopped him with a head shake. We don't know, she said. We have to wait and see. But if I'm a threat to tribe, let's just wait, 
Maria said. The rest of the patrol arrived at the compound at dusk. Maria, Leo, and Baron were eating their evening meal when Carla entered their tent. She scanned with a sympathetic gaze before speaking. Maria, Leo, let's talk outside. They followed her out of the tent. You saw what we all saw, Carla said. Best you do what you need to do on your own and don't make a big scene about it. You've been here a long time and everyone loves you, but you know how important it is we keep tribe pure. No, Maria said. Carla sighed. Come on, Maria, I hate this as much as you do. No, you don't, Maria replied. It's not your child. I want to talk to Gretchen. I want Baron to take another shot. Maybe Gretchen got it wrong. She didn't, Carla replied. He was the only initiate the undead responded to. I don't care. I want Gretchen to give him another shot. Maria pushed by Carla, striding to Gretchen's clinic. She ignored the receptionist's efforts, stomping through the narrow hall until she reached the office. Gretchen sat at her desk as if expecting her. I knew you would come, Gretchen said. Carla informed me before she went to you. Give him another shot, Maria said. It won't do any good, Gretchen replied. How do you know, Maria asked. Have you done it before? Gretchen shifted in her chair as if she sat on attack. No, but... Then do it now, Maria said. As much as Leo and I have done for you, you owe us that. It's not that simple, Gretchen replied. It took years to develop the serum. The body can tolerate one dose. Anything beyond that can cause unexpected consequences. Do you know this for a fact? Maria asked. No, but the doctor's notes are thorough. I have no reasons to doubt him. Maria dropped into a chair before Gretchen's desk. Please, Gretchen, she said. I can't have Baron living like this, constantly fearing those things. I have to try. We have to try. It's not so bad, Gretchen said. You can stay with Tribe. I'll push through a waiver. There's no reason we have to be as rigid as we were in the past. But Baron can never leave the compound again. I can't have him live a life like that without trying, Maria replied. Please, Gretchen. Please. Gretchen steepled her fingers, a distant look on her face. If it works, it will be a breakthrough, she said. It will work, Maria replied. Gretchen finally looked at Maria. Get me another specimen, she said. Something fresh. Maria jumped to her feet. Yes, I'll go now. He'll have to be quarantined in the clinic until the symptoms subside, Gretchen said. Of course, Maria replied. She worked her way around the desk, then wrapped Gretchen in a tight hug. Thank you. Maria hurried out of the clinic. Leo and Baron jumped to their feet when she entered the tent. Grab your gear, Leo. We're going for a specimen. What about me? Baron said. Maria went to Baron, placing her hands on his cheeks. You're going to be all right. Stay in the tent and don't let anyone in until we return, understand? Yes, Mama. She kissed him and then left the tent. Carla met her outside. Where are you going? Back to the city for a specimen. So Gretchen agreed to try again? Yes. I'm coming with you. Maria stopped and spun around. No, you're not. A few minutes ago, you were ready to kick us out. We don't need your help. 
It wasn't personal, Carla replied. The tribe comes first. What you're doing might save others. Fuck the tribe, Maria said. I'm doing this for my son. If I see you following us, I swear to God I'll blow your brains out. Maria stomped away before Carla could respond. She was out the gate and crossing the protective clearing when Leo caught up with her. What's the plan? We go back to the city, snatch an undead, get our specimen, and come back. Leo looked around. It's dusk. We should probably wait until morning. Either help me or go back, Maria said. I'm with you, you know that, Leo said. It's just, it's our son, Leo. Our son, Leo looked away. You're right, let's go. They hurried over the rough terrain, reaching the town as the last sunlight trickled below the western horizon. We can't go in after dark, you know that, right? I know, Maria said. We'll lure them out here. With what? Maria reached into her bag and took out a large flashlight. No one in the compound knew she owned it. If they did, it would be confiscated by camp enforcers. She was lucky to have discovered batteries that still held a charge, which she never used unless in emergencies. Leo looked at the light and said nothing. Maria turned on the light. The beam illuminated a small area just outside the town outskirts. We're not close enough, she said. They gathered their gear and moved closer until the light revealed the damaged building walls. Leo aimed his rifle in the direction of the light, his face tense. Maria flashed the light on and off for an hour before spotting movement. Something's coming, she said. Leo raised his rifle to his shoulder. Maria let the light stream as the undead emerged from the dilapidated structures, trudging in its rambling way. Looks like one so far, Leo said. It's all we need, Maria replied. They walked toward the being, closing the gap quickly. They were within killing range when Maria held up her hand. More undead stumbled from the building. Maria turned off the light. Can't see well, Leo said. Shoot where it was, Maria replied. Leo aimed, then fired. The rifle report echoed across the dark emptiness and the distant hills. Maria flashed the light. The undead lay in the grass, its body twitching in a second death. Leo took out a machete, Maria her shotgun. Leo made quick work of the carcass, chopping the arm free and wrapping it in canvas as Maria watched the other undead. Let's go. They trotted away, Maria looking behind them. The other undead milled around their victim, some staring blankly at the body, others looking into the darkness. The grim scene faded as they crested the hill, then descended into the expanse leading to the compound. The gate was secured. Maria pounded it until the sentries let them in. Go get Baron, Maria said. I'm headed to the clinic. Maria was sure Gretchen was asleep, but she didn't care. She banged on the door until the doctor answered. Gretchen looked disgruntled as she let Maria in, but she didn't protest. She went to the lab and prepared the instruments as Maria took out the appendage and placed it on the table. It will take a few hours to prepare the vaccine, Gretchen said as she worked. I'll wait. Maria replied. Maria walked to the waiting room. Leo and Baron arrived a few minutes later. Baron, his eyes heavy with worry and fatigue, managed to smile before plopping onto a seat and falling back to sleep. Leo sat beside Maria. Get some sleep, he said. 
I'll take first watch. I can't, she said. Not until Baron gets the vaccine. You go ahead. Leo settled, slumping into his chair and immediately falling asleep. Maria watched them both, her eyes damp. She loved them both without bounds. She couldn't imagine being without either of them. Sleep slowly overwhelmed her, despite her diligence. Maria? Maria sat upright, looking to find Gretchen's serious face. It's done. Let's get Baron prepped. Maria stood, then woke Baron. He stood without question, then followed them into the office. Gretchen motioned to the chair, and Baron sat and rolled up his sleeve. Gretchen administered the shot quickly. Same instructions as before. Take him home, let him rest. He might have a slight fever and fatigue. When the fever breaks, bring him back. Maria hugged Gretchen. Thank you for doing this. Gretchen freed herself. Don't thank me yet. We still have to take him out again once he's recovered to make sure it took. You can thank me then. Maria led Baron back to their tent. He lay in his bed, a hopeful smile on his face. It'll be okay, Mama, he said. This time, it'll take. Maria shared a smile she didn't feel. I know, baby. Just rest. I'll be right here. The days passed and Maria stayed. Baron's symptoms came and she did what she could. Leo watched over both of them, making sure they ate and relieving Maria when she needed to rest or relieve herself. The compound took on an eerie silence, despite everyone going about their routines. Each person concerned about Baron's condition, but like Maria, all they could do was wait. Seven days after the re-inoculation, Maria awoke during the night. She was thirsty, her mouth dry from sleeping with it open. She had no doubt been snoring, something Leo accused her of for years which she denied. She decided to check on Baron. He was still, eyes wide. Baron? Maria shook him and he didn't respond. Baron! She grabbed his shoulders, staring into his blank orbs. Leo came behind her. What's going on? Maria turned to him, tears running from her eyes. He's dead. Leo moved her aside, pressing his fingers against his neck. He jerked his hand away, then grabbed Maria, pulling her back. He's not dead, he said. Maria glared at him. What do you mean he's not dead? Leo laid his hands on her shoulders. We have to get him out of here now. What the fuck are you talking about? What are you... She saw the answer in Leo's eyes. Her arms dropped to her side and she turned around. Oh God, oh God, no. Baron's eyes focused on her. There was no emotion, no recognition. Help me, Leo said. Maria couldn't move. She watched Leo take a rope from their storage chest and use it to tie Baron's arms to his torso and secure his ankles. He went back to the chest and returned with a canvas bag that he draped over his head, then tied shut. Help me lift him, he said. Maria leaned for Baron, but as she reached out to touch him, she found her hands frozen. She looked up into Leo's eyes. I... I can't. It's my... Leo touched her cheek. It's okay. I'll do it. He cradled Baron into his arms, then maneuvered him over his shoulder. Maria hurried to the tent flap, then opened it. We'll need horses, he said. I'll get them. Maria replied. 
She ran to the stable, staying as quiet as she could manage. The compound was asleep. Even the guards had dozed off. She saddled two of the most docile horses and led them to the tent. Both pulled back when she neared Leo and Baron. Maria patted them as she struggled not to break down. Leo lifted Baron onto the mare and climbed into the saddle. Maria mounted the other horse and they rode to the gate. As they neared it, they saw a person standing in the middle of the road holding a shotgun. Gretchen, Maria whispered. She ambled to them. You should end it here, she said. Get out of the way, Maria replied. What are you going to do? Gretchen asked. Set him free? To what? We'll do what we have to do, Leo said. But not here. Gretchen nodded. She went to the gate, then opened it. I'm sorry, she said. I hoped it would work. Me too, Maria replied. Once they were a distance away from the camp, they urged the horses to a gallop, riding hard until they reached the river and the old town. Leo climbed down from his horse, then lowered Baron to the ground. He untied his arms and legs, then removed the bag. Let's go, he said. No, Maria replied. Let's wait. Together they watched for the inevitable. After an hour, Baron, or what used to be Baron, sat up, then struggled to his feet. He turned to them, his eyes locked on Maria. Give me something, she whispered. Let me know you're still there. But there was nothing left. Baron turned and staggered away toward the river. The tears came hard as she reached for her rifle, then took aim. I'm so sorry, she said. I love you. I always will. She pulled the trigger. Thanks again to our patrons for supporting this podcast. Because of your support, listeners around the world get creepy tales in their ears every other week. If you want new stories every week, the only way for that to happen is to join the Nightlight Legion by going to nightlightpod.com legion. You can also make a one-time donation via PayPal at nightlightpod.com donate. If you're unable to support us financially, word of mouth is the next best way to help. Give us a shout out online on Twitter, TikTok, or Instagram at nightlightpod, or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ransompodcasts. Reviews are also a huge help, so be sure to leave a few kind words on your podcast platform of choice. Audio production for this episode by Jen Zink. And to thank you for listening until the very end, we have a creepy fact for you. The first widely accepted vaccine was developed in 1796 against smallpox, but people in 10th century China actually were the first to find success with vaccines. They introduced the smallpox virus to people's noses by grinding up dried scabs and blowing the material up the nostrils with what essentially was a straw. Doctors in India and Africa in the 17th century independently discovered that introducing small amounts of the liquid from pustules was effective in preventing a full-blown case of smallpox. The American smallpox vaccine that was the basis for the modern vaccination that eradicated the disease was based on the knowledge given to colonizers, specifically Cotton Mather of Salem Witch Trials fame, by an enslaved man from West Africa who reported how his people inoculated against smallpox. Okay, I admit that fact wasn't exactly creepy, but it is interesting, if not maddening, that yet another enslaved person's contributions were ignored. Join us next time and be sure to leave your nightlight on. You never know what might be infecting you in the dark.
the Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.